I'm Bob Schieffer. And I'm Andrew Schwartz. And these are conversations about the news. We're in the midst of a communications revolution. We have access to more information than any people in history. But are we more informed or just overwhelmed by so much information we can't process it? Our podcast is a collaboration of the Bob Schieffer College of Communication at TCU and CSIS in Washington. In this first year of Donald Trump's presidency, we're talking to the reporters who are covering the president the closest, the White House Press Corps. Our guest today is George Condon. He is the uh, White House correspondent for National Journal, joined uh, the journal at the beginning of the Obama administration. He covered the White House for Congress daily. Before that, he covered the White House and national politics as Washington bureau chief for Copley News Service and the San Diego Union. Uh, George, welcome to the broadcast. It's great to see you. Thank uh, you, Bob. George and I have known each other for a long time. You have... Uh, interviewed eight presidents, reported from 88 countries. Uh, you led the team that won the uh, Pulitzer Prize for National Reporting in 2008, uh, coverage of uh, corruption of Representative uh, Randy Duke Cunningham. You're also past uh, president of the White House Correspondents Association and the Gridiron Club and the past chairman of the National Press Foundation. Uh, I want to talk to you mostly about context for this presidency. I mean, you, like me, we've been around the block a couple of times here in Washington, me more than you probably, but you've interviewed, what, uh, eight presidents? And uh, you were the uh, president of the White House Correspondents Association uh, at one point. Uh, I, I would say you are now the dean of the White House Correspondents uh, on the job today. A frightening thought. <laughs> so how is this different from the other presidencies? Well, in some ways— None of those prior presidents prepared us uh, for for this guy. Because he doesn't know any American history, he doesn't know any uh, history of the presidency. Um, and uh, just to digress for a second, I couldn't believe it in the campaign when he bragged that he had not read a single biography of any American president. I don't know how you get through school without having read a book on Washington or Lincoln or Kennedy or Roosevelt, but he was proud of it. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I was struck the same way because what I was thinking of, half the books that have been written in America have been about Abraham Lincoln. Right, I don't know right, of any other book right. that, that, except the Bible. Well, and, and since he got in office, he actually does seem to have tried to read, uh, or as he said, look at, uh, a, a book on uh, on Jackson. Uh, he's, he's decided that that he's the president that uh, that he's modeling himself after. I just don't think he reads. Oh, he doesn't. Uh, he watches a lot of TV. We know that. Uh, in fact, that's gotten much worse. He's now obsessed with it. He is there in the in the study right off of the Oval Office. There used to be a small TV, and he has changed that to a sixty-inch, which is almost bigger than the room itself. But he turns on the TV when he gets up in the morning, which is very early. Uh, he used to watch uh, Morning Joe, but he doesn't like them anymore. So he watches Fox and Friends. And you can see by his tweets, he reacts to something that's on Fox and Friends. And his tweets are often at 6 a.m. Um, and then he, he, he watches TV when he doesn't have a, a, a scheduled event. 
Genau. So what then is your workday like with this president? Well, you start out by um, as soon as you get up, uh, look at Twitter, uh, which I, it's safe to say we never had to do for any other president. I mean, President Obama tweeted, but it, it, this is going to sound quaint, but it actually was about policy uh, and the government. He didn't. Now we have tweets. Uh, you have one on, on a government policy, but the one right before it is making fun of Arnold Schwarzenegger for having bad ratings on The Apprentice. You know, or, you know, nothing about sports, but a lot about popular uh, culture. And then there are days where uh, the president isn't seen uh, at all. So you, you go over and you, you talk to people there, and, uh, and the briefings have really uh, changed from what they were in the past. Uh, when Sean Spicer does brief, it's often a 10- or 15-minute preamble, a little commercial going over the schedule and reminding us what a great uh, administration and what a great president this is. And then he'll take questions. The other day, the questions were only 14 minutes. The, the day before that, it was 19 minutes, as opposed to uh, Josh Ernest, who used to go an hour and a half sometimes. Pre, prior press secretaries waited until the senior wire uh, reporter there uh, thanked them, told them, it was over. I'm wondering, uh, I heard him the other day say something. He said, he was asked a question, Spicer, and he said, well, I haven't talked to the president about right. that. And then there was another question. Well, I haven't talked to the president about that, uh, which raises a question in my mind. Do you think he is in regular contact with the president? How often do you think he talks to the president? Uh, I, I think he does talk to the president, and he's, he's in more contact than, say, uh, when Scott McClellan was press secretary for President Bush, uh, you got the sense that he never uh, talked to him. And press secretaries vary on that. And, and I'd put Sean sort of in the middle. But the thing is, the president doesn't tell you things. And because he so undercuts his own staff, you can't give a normal answer. The question you're talking about there was, does the president have confidence in his attorney general? Now, the normal answer for any press secretary who probably didn't ask that question that morning is, yes, the president still has confidence in the attorney general. But because this president undercuts them, they can't give that normal answer. And so he asked, he's learned after being burned so many times to be cautious and say, well, I didn't ask that question. Well, uh, do you today. think that uh, that they're afraid to ask Trump questions about subjects? And I say this because somebody told me that he apparently doesn't read uh, social media. He, he's on social media. Right. He does the Twitters and all this. But the staff actually prints out right, exactly. things that are on social media because he doesn't like to, to yeah, read that, it. That's a big trick of trying to get the president to react to anything is to Get the story that you want them to see uh, in front of them. Print it out. Make sure it's in the packet that goes to them. And that includes printing out uh, tweets. Right. He, he does know how to use his phone to, to tweet, but he doesn't apparently know how to, uh, to call up uh, anything. And as this person explained it to me, was that the staff sometimes is reluctant to, to print up the negative things because they, they fear he'll Oh, he'll oh ab that, that, that's absolutely true. They look for the most positive things. And that means sometimes very questionable sources. Uh, you, you'll pull it from Infowars or, 
or that guy Mike Cernovich or places that aren't at all reliable. Uh, and they do that because they it's, – it's amazing how they talk about him as if he's a child. We've got to have, have him happy. Or uh, when they were looking ahead to the Comey uh, hearings – they said, oh, we don't want him tweeting during those hearings, so we'll have to make him busy. Uh, it's, it's exactly how you talk about a 12-year-old. Well, uh, exactly. And and this is the part that I find kind of interesting. Uh, we've had several people uh, tell us, even during these podcasts, uh, where they'll, they'll quote staff as saying, well, we try to arrange these dinners for him uh, so he, he won't be lonesome. And, and we, you know, like we try to plan out his little activities for him uh, because they're fearful if he's left to his own devices, he'll get himself in trouble. Right. And that's, that's made much worse by the fact that his wife is not living here with him. So he goes up. Uh, he's not working very hard. And he watches TV, sees something he doesn't like. He gets, he gets depressed. Uh, and one of the stories was about how he, he pads around the, the residence in his bathrobe, and the White House was full of, of umbrage at that and said the president doesn't own a bathrobe. Well, two things on that. His Trump properties sells very nice bathrobes, and I'm sure he could get a discount if he wanted one. And secondly, I don't like the alternative. If he's not padding around in a bathrobe when he gets out of the shower— what is he wearing? But Boxers, that's a briefs, whole, uh, that's a whole that's other a whole issue. Other that, deal, huh? That's a mental we've, picture we've, I don't we've want. We've been through that. Right, haven't right, right. <laughs> Let's bring in Andrew. <laughs> Andrew Who, let the record show, is not wearing a bathrobe. Right I am now. not wearing a bathrobe, and I do not have a Trump bathrobe, but I bet they are nice. Get with it. Get with it. Well, you know, it, it's funny because it doesn't remind me of keeping a kid busy. It reminds me of, like, trying to keep my father-in-law busy when my mother-in-law is out of town. Like, what are you going to do with him? If you don't, you know, you got to get him on to watch Fox or something. You got you to gotta have his dinner ready. You're going to get yourself in trouble. I, I was going to say, <laughs> we want to make sure he doesn't hear this podcast. No, I think he'll really like it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, sometimes I, I feel sorry for the president that, you know, he's he is lonely in the White House, we've heard, and he, he doesn't have uh, a lot to do except watch TV. So, so I mean, w- w- what's what's going on there? Aren't there a lot of people who do want to hang out with him at night? Oh, I mean, there's always sycophants who want to spend as much time as they can uh, with any president. Uh, and he, he occasionally invites people uh, for dinner. He loves the perks of office. He loves the Oval Office and showing off things. He, the other thing that he loves, not directly on your question, but uh, he loves these faux, these phony signing ceremonies. You know, he's always signing things that he says are executive orders and makes it look like bill signings. The, uh, just this week, he had a, a signing uh, and, he, and he signed his name with two pens and handed them out to members of Congress. It wasn't a bill. It wasn't an executive order. It was just some principles uh, about infrastructure. Uh, you know, no president, Mike Deaver with Reagan never thought of such phony stagecraft. Let me just add one thing, getting back to the uh, the meals and all of that. Uh, uh, this is my own reporting. I really worked hard to get this story. I was having lunch with a guy, and he just told me. <laughs> he brought it up. But apparently when Trump has these members of Congress over, he does serve alcohol because he doesn't He drink. doesn't drink, right. 
And well, I don't drink. Right. But when we have people over, we do offer them a glass of wine if they'd care for one. But apparently, he serves it's diet coke or water. See, I would do well there. You know, it's I fine like with me, but I mean, I just find that interesting. I mean, uh, Jimmy Carter was the greatest teetotaler of all time, as as we all know. Well, they they served alcohol, and it was sure. a real question about it. But, well, but he uh, compensates for that by there's always dessert. Sometimes it's it's that most beautiful piece of chocolate cake, but uh, it, it's usually ice cream and uh, so on. He loves his desserts. He wants people to have what he likes. Yeah. I think is yeah. the point, right? Yeah. But, you know, he is different from other presidents. Uh, President Clinton didn't like being a, a, alone. Right. And w- I remember we were on a, uh, a trip to— <laughs> Definitely Ger- didn't like well, being no, alone. That's we, true. We were in yeah. Cologne, Germany, uh, and I was the pool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the president didn't have anybody to go to dinner with, so he asked if the pool wanted to have dinner with him. So I found myself uh, sitting next to the president at a German beer hall— uh, you know, having a, a, a great evening. Uh, I bet. Uh, but but he, he didn't want to just be alone in the hotel. Uh, well, I mean, Lyndon Johnson, he didn't like to be alone. I mean, he worked from the time he got up in the morning. He was either right. on the phone or talking to somebody. Right. So I don't think you can hold that against somebody that maybe they oh, don't no, like to be no. alone. It's just that Trump has a different it's way a of handling it. Different. Instead of inviting somebody, uh, you know, and going out with them, he, he mopes, feels sorry right. for himself. And, and f- he very much feels that he's the victim. When he's watching cable TV, and every other president since cable came in has boasted, we don't watch cable TV. We're not going right. to, even if they were lying about it, they, they didn't watch They don't like read newspapers. They don't watch TV. They don't read magazines. Right. It, oh, no. It, I mean, they, they, they would read the stuff, but they found the cable when there wasn't something breaking and you just had these panels talking about things endlessly, that they didn't find very productive use of their time. President Obama very much, he, he, he would do his work at night in the study, but he would have ESPN or a game on. He, he liked sports to relax. George Bush, for example, George W. Bush, Baseball. a voracious reader, though. Yes. He watched a lot of sports, but he also was a voracious reader of all things presidential biographies. Yeah. And, 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 was quite conversant about it. I mean, you well, talked to him a little bit, and he, you knew he had been Ray Reagan about was, it. too. I've never—I've always been amazed at presidents, as busy as they are, where they find the time uh, to read so much. Especially when you hear in this town, all you hear in this town is nobody has any time to read anything. Right. Well, that's why I always feel guilty, because they're, they're president, and they're reading uh, more than I am in a week. I hear you. Well, talk about reading for a second. What do you think about the president's t- tweets? There's there's a whole thing going on right now. Should reporters report on these tweets as if they were presidential statements? Absolutely. He's the president of the United States. Mm-hmm. They're his words. If anything, they mean more because they're not vetted by staff. Uh, they're not put through a, a committee. This is the unfiltered view of the leader of the free world. The Which he proudly, he proudly says that, but then the staff says, well, don't pay any attention to it. Well, because he undercuts them with everyone. They plan a strategy for how we're going to handle something. For example, when the special counsel was announced, they, the staff saw this as a wonderful opportunity to say, okay, the, we're going to focus on our issues, our agenda, the work of the American people. We're not going to be answering questions about the special counsel. That lasted 12 hours before the president totally undercut them 
in his tweets. He undercut foreign policy on, on Gutter. He undercut the staff on uh, his lawyers arguing for the Supreme Court. This is not a travel ban. Whatever you do, don't call it a travel ban. So what does he do? He mocks them, mocks his own lawyers and his own staff and says, ah, politically correct. It's you, a travel ban. You put out your own list of his top 10 unforced errors. <laughs> oh. Well, and, and, and keep in mind, that's after four and a half months in office. Uh, I, I was mentioning before, the I could not have put out a top 10 list like that after most two-term presidents. It was easy to do after four and a half months for this guy. Could you have done a top 20? Yeah, I would have had to stretch uh, some. Tell it us it a, would have been unfair. Tell us the top five. Well, just in reverse chronology, uh, the, the, the gutter uh, tweet uh, yesterday that undercut all American foreign policy. Uh, the day before, it was the travel ban. Uh, picking a fight with the mayor of uh, London, uh, not exactly presidential uh, favor. The, at, when, at a time when the White House was trying to focus on their agenda, raising the question of whether or not you had taped secret tapes of James Comey uh, in, in his meetings. Another one, when the White House had built this entire rationale of why you fired James Comey, uh, because uh, the Justice Department recommended it, and the president totally blew that up by saying, nah, nah, it was because of Russia. The biggest one was accusing the president, uh, uh, President Obama, of wiretapping, wiretapping him. And remember the context on that, that was three days after probably his best moment as president, his address to Congress, uh, where everybody gushed because he, he didn't stumble over anything. Uh, he voter fraud. And then the most well-known one, the first one, uh, was, was destroying his first few days by having to talk about whether his crowds at or the inauguration were the biggest in, well, Forget that. Bigger than anything Jesus ever uh, drew. I mean, the, you know, biggest in history. <laughs> Sermon on the Mount. Oh, well, Sermon on the Mount was nothing. <laughs> no TV coverage of that. It's John Lennon territory. Did Jesus ever tweet? I don't think so. <laughs> How many followers did he have on Twitter? You know, it's interesting, isn't it? I've thought about that many times. Uh, they didn't have any kind of social media. You didn't have any kind of digital. And it went around the world and right. back. And it's still going around <laughs> right. the world and right. back. But that was then. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about, in a serious way, what has this president accomplished so far, would you say? He's accomplished one thing. Uh, so far, that uh, that he can boast of, uh, he and and it's the thing that allows his strongest followers to put up with all the other stuff. Uh, he had the Supreme Court appointment confirmed. Uh, you can't take that away from him. Uh, you know, nobody since James Garfield has gotten one in the first uh, you know in the first few months. Now you need a vacancy to do that, but that's that's a legitimate. Accomplishment. Almost everything else has been, uh, you know, incomplete. You know, most of the things that he said were executive orders. They were they were the standard things. Republicans always and Democrats always match uh, executive orders about abortion and and international uh, health programs. But most of the other things that he signed were just advisory, asking for studies of things. And what have they passed in Congress? 
Well, the Comey hearing is about to come up too, and so we're 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 all waiting for that. I mean, people are planning parties. There, it's it's wall to wall coverage. W- what do you think about this? That does tell you something about Washington that sure. is is a is a little sobering. That uh, as somebody said, this is our Super Bowl. Yeah, I I, I hope not. This and, isn't a Super Bowl. Actually, I mean, this we're, is we're really... always guilty uh, of overstating what's going to happen. There was a hearing with the intelligence uh, directors, and none of them were willing to say what people th- thought they were going to say. They were all more cautious. And uh, Comey, uh, I'm sure, will be more cautious in some regards. Well, we, we've seen the uh, a transcript of his, of his right. opening statement. Uh, talk a little bit about Comey's statement. Um, well, it, it, it certainly will be embarrassing to the White House, you know, the president's sort of uh, cloying uh, demands for loyalty and total understanding, misunderstanding of separation of powers and what the job of the FBI uh, director is and why he's supposed to be independent. What the White House will be very happy about is that he did confirm what the president had said, that three times in different meetings, uh, Comey did assure him that you are not the subject of the investigation currently. So he'll be happy on that. But the it doesn't paint a pretty picture of of the president trying to badger people to stop the investigation. Will Donald Trump get past this? I mean, I see this as kind of a crossroads, a very early crossroads in his presidency. Either he gets past it or he doesn't. And I don't see if he doesn't get past this, I don't see where he goes after that. If he had a hostile Congress, I would entertain the thought that he doesn't get past it. But I have seen absolutely, maybe I'm cynical, but I see absolutely nothing in the Republican Congress to suggest that there's anything that they would not put up with. They have tolerated every single thing that he does. There are things that have come out on this that uh, if it were a Democratic president, they would be starting impeachment, or if it was a Democratic Congress, they'd be saying. But they, they, I go back to the trade-off. They, they have all agreed to a trade-off. You give us the tax cut that we want, and you give us the conservative justices and judges that we want, and we'll put up with all your, uh, your nonsense. And you really think that's enough for them? I, I see nothing to say it's, that it's not. You know, I, I have a I have a friend uh, in Congress, very very conservative, and I always, uh, when I think about the future of this presidency, I, I think about what would it, what would have to happen for him to vote for impeachment, and I haven't seen that yet. Right, and I think you and I are probably saying about the same right. thing. Uh, still. Can he get anything done? I mean, can he really get a budget through? Can he really get a tax cut? It uh, You know, Mitch McConnell, he seems – I mean, you're hearing reports now that he actually is twisting arms and coming up with some kind of health care uh, bill. Uh, Senator Cassidy of, uh, of Louisiana, who had insisted he was going to oppose anything, seems to be caving. If he's caving, others – are caving. So I'm, I'm not ready to say that, that they can't. 
anything that needs more than uh, 51 votes, they're going to have a very tough time doing. What about tax reform? Oh, I, I, it's ludicrous how they think that's going to be so easy. I mean, we remember 1986 when, when Ronald Reagan pushed it through. There, there's nothing, nothing tougher than tax reform because as soon as you say you're going to give to this group, you got to take away from that group. Uh, you know, you, you're going to tell people that they're not going to get their home mortgage deductions. They're already running into problems because they don't want to have state and local taxes deductible, and New Jersey and New York don't like that. Let's talk about this for a second. Th- this White House hasn't yet faced an external crisis, but there's been so much drama. How do you expect the White House to react to a real crisis? Uh, <clears throat> not very nobly. I mean, the one of the problems with their lack of credibility, and they, and they don't have any credibility right now, is that will the American people believe this president and his team uh, when when there's an attack here and he talks to them? And the answer right now is, I think, no. Is he, he has not handled the foreign crises well. His response to the London attacks was not uh, very inspiring. What do you think is wrong with this White House staff and, and the whole dynamic between the president and his staff? It seems every day there's a new bit of chaos we're hearing about. We're hearing about, you know, independent channels, people who have mul- – there's, there's multiple press secretaries for multiple people. What's going on there? Oh, I don't blame the staff in the slightest on that. That's the president. The president's responsible. The president's got the staff that they want. He wants that kind of uh, chaos. He's not loyal to them. I mean, you know, I know this embarrasses Sean Spicer, but there was no example of, of, of disloyalty to your own staff than when they were in Rome at the Vatican. And Sean Spicer is, you know, by all accounts, the most devout Catholic on that staff. He so was looking forward to meeting the Pope. That's a big deal. Ari Fleischer, growing up Jewish in New York, said he didn't think about meeting the Pope, but that's one of his greatest memories from serving President Bush. Sure. And the morning of the meeting with the Pope, Sean is told, no, no, the president's got other people that's going to meet him. So did he do that just to be mean? or No, he doesn't think of other people. I don't, I don't think he—I have no proof that he sat down and said, I'm going to really stick it to Sean— but he, he doesn't show loyalty uh, to his staff the way uh, other presidents we've covered. What about loyalty to his staff who happens to also be related to him, even if by marriage? Although, I don't know. He said to uh, Jared Kushner uh, this week, uh, you know, you're getting more famous than I am. Well, the last time he said that was to uh, James, James Comey. Comey, and that didn't, that didn't work out well. He doesn't want anybody to have more fame. Yeah, when uh, Bannon started getting a little more publicity. Cover of Time uh, magazine. You began to hear little rumblings about we don't need any puppet masters around here. Uh, I guess that's that's the ultimate. uh, You're getting on TV more than the boss. Right. I mean, no president likes his staff being portrayed as as puppet masters. Uh, President uh, George W. Bush – or I'm sorry, George H.W. Bush – used to uh, say to staffers that got too big, said, you know, 
uh, when were you sheriff? You know, what did what did you what have you run for? You know, reminding him I was the one elected, not you. And I don't think Jimmy Carter liked it when Jody Powell and Hamilton Jordan were on the cover of Rolling Stone. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> remember that? Sure. I had forgotten yeah. all about yeah. it. But you know, talking about staff now, there's a good example, uh, and and you, you know about this, George. When Jody Powell came out and told you something, you knew exactly where it came from. It right, came directly right, from right. Jimmy Carter. You know, maybe it was right, maybe it was wrong, but you knew who was telling you that. And I don't get the sense when somebody comes and tells you something at the White House, when do you know to believe it? Oh, I know. And, and, in this White House. And you don't because the president himself uh, changes. Uh, and I always recall the uh, Lyndon Johnson wanted to remind reporters who the boss was. And he once personally called a reporter and told him, I'm going to fire J. Edgar Hoover as head of the FBI. And the reporter, assuming it was a pretty good source when the president tells you that, reported that. The next day, Johnson, in effect, named Hoover as FBI director for life. And it was just his way of sticking it to that, uh, that reporter. It's pretty incredible. That's that's masterful. Yeah, you got, you, I mean, there's a different. <laughs> that's a whole different level of of mastering the press, but but you're in that press room every day, and this press room's different than any press room you've been oh, in, yeah. just because I mean, there's there's different reporters there all of a sudden, different news organizations. What's that been like? Well, I mean, you know, our our position at the Correspondent Association is, you know, the more the merrier. Sure, we have no problem at all with them. Uh, expanding it now, we do wish that Sean would would call on on some of the uh, more traditional news organizations. Sometimes the other day, his uh, his first three questions went to, went to Fox Business, uh, Fox News, and Fox Radio, uh, and then later on he had another Fox, and that was in only I think 18 minutes of questioning, uh, and he and he he does call on a lot of the uh, non-traditional. But, you know, we, we have no problem with them being in there. Well, why, why is the White House press briefing such entertainment these days? It's like, it is must-see TV. Well, I'll, I'll give you an example on that. I asked a question the uh, other day, and within five minutes, I had an email from my nephew, who was a naval officer uh, based in Djibouti. And he just emailed... Uh, Nice question. That's incredible. He was watching the White House briefing live in Djibouti. Now, I agree there's not a whole lot to do in Djibouti, so, and he's not <laughs> allowed to leave the base, but still it's, it's remarkable. And, and the president— He could have been well, watching ESPN. I, I don't know. Who knows what, you, what Djibouti uh, ESPN is. But, uh, <laughs> um, but the president has taken note of that. Even when he was talking about firing Sean, he does say, oh, he gets great ratings. Great ratings. Someone explained to me the other day that uh, that Trump's idea of leadership is really part of his view of how you make a deal. It's all about making a deal. Uh, and so he never really does fire anybody, very seldom fires anybody. He just puts them way out to the outside there. Uh, because he figures he might need them again sometime. Well, and, he's still unhappy that he had to fire uh, Flynn. Yeah. He didn't want to do that. What, what do you think that's all about? Uh, well, number one, I don't think he makes very good deals. We have seen no indication of that as president where he is a deal maker. 
and a lot of the deals that he boasts about, like uh, in Cincinnati, he he ratcheted up what he said the uh, the deals that he struck in Saudi Arabia were worth. Now it's millions of American jobs, when in fact, as people have pointed out, there may be nothing. There may be no jobs. It's just how he operates. He's he's a marketer more than anything else. Where do you see uh, uh, what is the future of Jared Kushner? Oh, as long as he's married to the president's daughter, it's <laughs> he's still okay. I would think so. Yeah. Could he get in trouble because of these meetings with the Russians, as you see it right now? Oh, I think any any of these people can get in trouble. He did get the thing that had the president angry at him was uh, Jared's sister was overseas and and seemed to be talking about my clout with the White House will help you on these visas, uh, and the president didn't didn't like that and gave him a hard time. Well, George, I wanted to ask you while we've got you, you know some of the White House terminology that outsiders wouldn't understand. Let me ask you a few questions. What is the White House pool? What does it do? If I tell you, I'd have to, to kill you. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's, uh, the White House pool uh, is simple. The, it, it actually started when uh, James Garfield was shot, and you know they let a reporter from AP uh, sit in the bedroom, uh, in the hallway outside the president's bedroom overnight to basically listen to hear if the president was still breathing. No kidding. Uh, and you obviously couldn't have all reporters do that. And FDR would use small pools sometimes when you couldn't. It's basically just a question of if you're at an event where everybody can't go in. You can't have 200 reporters going into the Oval Office or flying on Air Force One so you have a rotating pool, uh, which is made up of one representative of print uh, newspapers, uh, one of radio, one TV crew, one radio uh, crew, uh, and wire reporters and photographers from, uh, from the wires. What's the difference between a press gaggle and a press briefing? Press gaggle is usually not uh, on camera, uh, and it's smaller. It started... Actually, the phrase came from when President Reagan was in uh, Canada, and he heard the Canadians using the phrase of a gaggle, uh, and they sort of brought that back. Um, and it started with, in the morning, the, especially the wire reporters needed some kind of heads up for what's going on that day. So they would gather around the desk of the press secretary, and it came to be called a gaggle. They sort of outgrew that uh, in the too many people that couldn't fit in, and they tried moving it to the briefing room, and it, it, it doesn't work real well, not because of the size. Finally, what, what's a lid? A lid, there, there are different types of lid, but basically when the White House gives you a full lid, you're safe. Nothing's going to happen. They're not going to announce anything. President's now, not going to go anywhere. No, sometimes that's, that's dangerous. Uh, I was in Kenny Bunkport with President, the first President Bush, and they announced a lid. And then after half the press corps left, uh, they announced uh, that there would be a, uh, a superpower summit with, uh, with uh, Yeltsin. <laughs> and a lot of people missed it because they had named the lid. That is a breaking of the lid. Yes. <laughs> well, Andrew, or is it time to put our lid on here? It's our lid. George, this yeah. was great. It was fun. <laughs> it was fun. Oh, yeah. uh, you, you had some great stories. <laughs> and uh, I really uh, look forward to seeing your stuff, and uh, we're you. glad you're over there. Absolutely. Thank you. For Andrew Schwartz, this is Bob Schieffer. Thanks for listening. 
Is it a physical attraction? Is it sexual satisfaction? Is it long life together? Oh, going through all kinds of weather. Is it holding each other's hands? Making all kinds of plans. Never, never saying goodbye. Never, never making each other cry Love is all the above That's what love is Love is everything Underneath the sun That's what love is ah, All of the above Is it a walk in the park? <laughs> Or is it kissing in the dark? Is it strolling in the rain? Is it joy? Or is it pain? If love really the answer, then what could be the question? I look in the sky and I pray Love is all the above That's what love is Love is everything Underneath the sun That's what love is I'm <laughs> 